All right, we are back with your host, Jeremy Rubani. This is Third Rail. Today, we have a very, very exciting guest, Mr. Abid Shamdeen. He's the co-founder of Nadi's Initiative. Abid, how are you doing today, man? I am well, thank you. Great. So, uh, thank you for joining me, by the way. I truly do appreciate it. Uh, we'll start off right off the bat with our first question. You know, you, you've co-founded Nadia's initiative, obviously, which is doing amazing things in the world. The question is why? Why did you decide to co-found Nadia's initiative? Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so happy to join your podcast. Um, why? Uh, this is a really good question. Um, well, it, it was, it all started with uh, Nadia's idea and her story. It's to... Um, I would. I happened to be there to assist and, and help uh, along with other friends, um, but it is based on, you know, what Nadia, my wife, uh, who is an amazing, amazing uh, human being, um, extraordinary person, um, that decided to found this organization because of her own experience because of what she and her family and her community, our community, uh, went through uh, back in 2014. And shortly after she um, started her advocacy campaign and, and started telling her story, she found out that there, you know, there was a need for, um, you know, something like Nadia's initiative to and not only do advocacy globally on behalf of survivors um, of genocide and sexual violence, but to also deliver actual tangible uh, projects on the ground to help those who have survived um, these uh, ordeals. Absolutely. Can you sort of go a little bit more in depth on the missions and, and goals of Nadi's initiative? Um, I know it was sort of founded on the heels of the Yazidi genocide in 2014, which we'll discuss in a bit. But what do you sort of do for for these survivors? Well, the the mission um, I can say it's uh, I can say it's twofold. One focuses um, on advocacy, uh, which is global uh, in nature, not only on behalf of uh, Yazidi uh, the Yazidi community and Yazidi survivors. Uh, but um, on behalf of all survivors of sexual violence, given Nadia's experience and her story, um, uh, talking to um, and meeting with world leaders, um, uh, uh, helping co-found and start initiatives uh, that um, help protect um, the privacy and 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 promote um, ethical and survivor-centered approaches to. Uh, working and dealing with survivors, especially survivors of sexual violence, uh, such as the Murad Code Project that uh, Nadia helped supported, um, and the Global Survivors Fund. And so she, you know, it's it's twofold. the 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 first part um, has always been um, advocacy around one when it comes to the Yazidi community to. Um, make sure that um, ISIS is held accountable for crimes of genocide and sexual violence, um, and those who have committed these crimes against Yazidis and in other communities um, are 
not going to uh, walk away with impunity uh, because we know that thousands of, of ISIS uh, terrorists walked away after um, this so-called caliphate was uh, dismantled uh, by the coalition that was created to defeat ISIS. Uh, but thousands of, of, of their fighters um, ran away to Turkey, uh, to neighboring countries, and even to Europe. And some um, have been repatriated to the U.S., Canada, and other countries. And the goal, you know, is to make sure that um, they do not enjoy impunity. They do not walk free after committing all of these crimes against uh, innocent people in Iraq and Syria and, and and especially the Yazidi community because their goal was clear and public. They wanted to eradicate the Yazidi community. They wanted to um, torture and buy and sell women and children. Um, and so it, focusing one on uh, on accountability, justice, working, you know, with her uh, consul, Amal Clooney, um, working together, both uh, they were able to, and Nadia's initiative was able to uh, pass a UN resolution to um, create what is called UNITAD now, and it is involved in collecting and recording testimonies and collecting evidence related to crimes of ISIS against Yazidis and other communities throughout um, Iraq, not just in Sinjar. And um, the other part um, involves working on the ground where ISIS um, destroyed everything that was in their path um, in 2014 when they took over Nadia's village and other towns and villages uh, throughout the Sinjar region. Um, Starting slow, once Nadia's initiative was uh, created and established, we started, you know, working on rebuilding farms that were destroyed uh, by ISIS, um, working on focusing on restoring and rebuilding the education sector. So far, we have rebuilt and built uh, new schools uh, throughout the region, I, I believe we have uh, built more than and rebuilt and equipped and furnished more than 65 schools uh, throughout the region. Um, same for the healthcare sector. We have restored and rebuilt and even built new primary health centers. Uh, we are building a brand new hospital in partnership with the French government uh, that is near completion. It's going to uh, be done next year and um, functional and operational uh, sometime mid-2024. Uh, uh, um, Nadia and I went back to Sinjar just um, two weeks ago and we inaugurated the Yazidi Genocide Memorial. Um, it's a monument that um, will document the crimes that ISIS committed against Yazidis and will be an hour written literally in stone um, and will remain forever um, as testimony to what happened to the Yazidi community. So um, th this is just a, a quick snapshot of, of what we have been doing uh, on the ground. And of course, 
Uh, most importantly, we you know work hand in hand with the community, with survivors. Um, we have helped survivors of sexual violence um, uh, recover and receive the support they need in terms of um, interim reparations, um, helping them uh, furnish and, and, and rehabilitate their homes that were destroyed, uh, helping them establish small businesses uh, so they can and have a source of economic independence and, and be able to go back and recover uh, and restore uh, their life. I have to say, the work you're doing is, is truly remarkable. And for your wife, Nadia, to sort of be a survivor and then in turn sort of rebuild her life and not only rebuild her life, but also help others and her community is is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, obviously it's been extremely difficult work to do all this. What are like sort of the, the biggest challenges that you've sort of faced in, in, in advocating and, and sort of rebuilding these communities? That's a really good question. I, of course, this this work uh, comes with a lot of challenges, um, and just because you know someone like Nadia has the Nobel Peace Prize and can meet with uh, world leaders, it doesn't mean it's easy and you can do everything. It's uh, it, there are many challenges, including, uh, for example, um, unfortunately, the world has a short. Uh, memory for things like, you know, what happened to Yazidis and uh, the attention span is extremely uh, short. Uh, the world and the international community, um, they move on to the next uh, thing. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say they forget, but, you know, um, they are not there to provide real uh, tangible support to help communities like Yazidis uh, recover and rebuild and, and prevent uh, what happened from happening again. So it's extremely challenging sometimes to, uh, many times to find the resources you need to help the community to find uh, the political support and well to uh, do what needs to be done. And, you know, for example, in terms of justice, um, despite um, the older work Nadia and, and, and Amal in um, Nadia's initiative has done in the past years to pass the UN resolution to establish the UN team collecting um, thousands and thousands of testimonies and um, and evidence um, and even though ISIS was also public you know committing these crimes against Yazidis uh, the progress to uh, old ISIS perpetrators accountable has been extremely slow. Um, it's been nearly 10 years now, and only three members of ISIS group have been held accountable um, uh, in Germany. And so it's it's challenging because, um, especially if, you know, if, if for a community like Gizzi's, um uh, and then for a cause like this, where your small community don't have embassies, you don't have representative at the UN, you don't have um, the backing of um, governments or a government that you know is your you know uh, guardian or your you know they they um, put their full political power behind 
this cause, and then it, it becomes challenging. And so, it, especially nowadays, um, as you can see, there's so much happening in the world, um, crisis all over the region and all over the world, and um, it it's understandable, but also it's also difficult to see that um, a community that has gone through uh, so much suffering um, from, you know, lo losing their homeland, uh, from um, thousands of people being massacred, um, from thousands of women and children um, take, taken into captivity, um, you know, half of, of which are still missing. Um, yet, you know, the, the attention goes away and you are sort of left on your own to, to deal with, with all of that, uh, all of these challenges. Absolutely. And I just want to backtrack a little bit to earlier uh, about what you said about the UN resolution, how you guys are um, sort of gathering all this witness testimony. Is there any like testimony that sort of stuck out to you, just sort of like, like shocked you? Unfortunately, yes, unfortunately, there are many, many shocking um, testimonies and stories of survivors from the region. Uh, and at times, you know, what we do is we also are careful about sharing these stories. Uh, and, but, you know, starting with, with, with Nadia and her family, uh, you know, losing her brothers, losing her mother, losing her home, and going through all of that process of, of, of losing family and, and home and, you know, ending up in a displacement camp and then becoming a refugee. Um, it, this is just one story of thousands of stories. I've heard stories of, of women that, um, were in captivity by, you know, foreign nationals. Uh, from Europe and and from other places that that joined homegrown uh, psychopaths and terrorists in in Iraq and Syria that not only um, took these women into slavery and raped them, but they also um, enjoyed torturing them physically and psychologically because they were uh, just uh, you know, they had this sick ideology and, and really demented. And um, to to see some of these survivors telling these stories and 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 literally shaking um, when they speak about them is is truly uh, horrifying. And it's it's more horrifying to um, see that a lot of these people have now gone back to Europe and to these countries and are enjoying uh, the human law, you know, rights protections that are in place and using them to shield themselves from uh, being put on trial and getting the sentences they deserve for these crimes. So, thankfully, obviously, ISIS was mostly demolished by the coalition, I think, back in, I don't know, 2014, 2015, 2016. Um, and you mentioned that a lot of them were sort of Living in living with impunity, living sort of unpunished. Is there like a plan in place to sort of catch these guys? Like, how difficult is that? 
No, unfortunately, there isn't. As I mentioned earlier, it's that uh, with the creation of UNITAD, uh, their mandate was unfortunately only focused on collecting evidence. And so it wasn't um, anything beyond collecting evidence. In fact, it wasn't even clear what will happen to the evidence. And that's the challenge right now that the Iraqi government is pushing to end uh, their mandate and that um, possibly all the testimony and the evidence that uh, has been collected, you know, might be forgotten or lost or um, who knows what's going to happen to it. And so there is no plan in place. And um, I am due to travel to The Hague um, on Monday to speak at an event where prosecutors will be present and I was, it is specifically focused on the, the topic of, of prosecutions. And this is a challenge right now. There is no hybrid court uh, that has been established. And the kid, you know, it put an ISIS on trial over at uh, ICC is also not an option at the moment. And Iraq is... Um, is or isn't, we don't know. Um, putting some ISIS members on trial, but there is no transparency. There, um, There's no communication about that. And in, in most of the cases, it's mostly um, just about membership in a terrorist organization without a specific mention of uh, crimes of genocide, sexual violence, and these specific crimes against uh, uh and specifically as a woman and so this is the challenge right now with um almost 10 years after what happened that there is no clear path to uh justice and to hold thousands and thousands of of, of isis um accountable for these crimes i personally i mean i think everyone hopes that these people are punished by the full extent of the law and hopefully they they get caught very soon although there obviously will be challenges like you mentioned i'm curious obviously what's the state of the yazidis today how was the situation like in iraq post isis um it is it is um challenging in many ways it has um gotten much better in many ways and uh, there has been progress in, in, in some areas and there are many challenges in others. So as I mentioned, we had, we've, we went back, uh, just recently this, this month, uh, to inaugurate the, uh, Yazidi genocide memorial. Um, at the same time, uh, Nadia was able to meet and, and speak with community, uh, members there, uh, visit, uh, the hospital. Uh, that we are building that I mentioned earlier, um, visit a women's sports uh, center that uh, we have we built in the region, um, and other projects that uh, we have built, flagship uh, projects that are really helping the community um, in a real sense um, in their homeland. And so th there has been some progress made in, in, in some ways where... Um, we and with our partners and with the support of of our partners and and supporters and donors uh, have been able to make um, progress in in areas of education, health, 
uh, farming um, documentation. Um, it, but there are challenges where um, the presence of the government, the Iraqi government, is is not uh, real. They're not doing what they are supposed to be doing, um, and they're not doing what the government should be doing, especially in the aftermath of a conflict like this and a genocide like this. Um, so th that's where some challenges are with um, the lack of support from the Iraqi government uh, doing their part in helping the community return. We still, even though um, over 150 to 60,000 uh, Yazidis and, and others have returned to the region. Uh, we still have uh, a number close to that or even more living in internally displaced camps inside Iraq. And so what we are doing is uh, trying to advocate for more sustainable long-term solutions where the community is able to return and rebuild and not remain in the camps and not remain uh, in limbo for uh, another decade because it's it's almost a decade since they were displaced and some of them are still living in the same camps that were uh, you know set up back in in 2014. Now, where is the outrage? I mean, I think you know this most recent Israel-Palestine conflict sort of brought to light a lot of the outrage. Um, you know, obviously against Israel, a lot of people were out in the streets protesting Palestine and. Uh, you know, the mistreatment that, that they might face. Where was the protest and outrage for the Yazidis back in 2014? Because I, you know, as far as I remember, I don't remember anyone taking to the streets and protesting on their behalf. That's a really great point. And that's the unfortunate reality that um, human rights are sometimes uh, being politicized and, um, you know, mid-tribal. And, you know, if you care about human rights and, and the life of, of human beings, um, all human rights should matter to you. Um, no, uh, there were no, there was no outrage specifically and especially in our own country, unfortunately, um, in our own region, uh, it was not talked about. It was not, there were no terror, uh, protests you know, in the neighboring countries of, of Jordan, like they're happening at the moment in the neighboring country of, you know, um, uh, Syria and, and other places. Um, there was any um, uh, there wasn't any um, outrage in, in especially in the region, but in, in the West, I think it was uh, there was little um, known about what happened to be honest with you I remember, like today, that I was, it was my last semester, I was uh, in, you know, a college uh, student at the University of Nebraska. I, I drove with some friends um, from Nebraska to Washington, D.C., and we came to protest, and I think um, it was a few days after ISIS attacked region because I, I was in touch with the community. I was in touch with my family and friends. And right outside the White House, I think um, people, Yazidis came from different parts of the U.S. and a few from Canada. 
and I think the entire number may, might have been a uh, hundred or so. Um, we didn't see, you know, large protests at the universities like you see right now um, in Harvard and New York and other places, um, you know, protesting, you know, a real genocide that was taking place in a, you know, an, an organized campaign of sexual violence against women and, and girls as young as eight and nine years old. And so um, it wasn't, you know, much outrage um, at the time. And as I said, I, I, it's right now, it's um, mostly forgotten. It's mostly forgotten because uh, people move on and, and especially if it's not a topic that is politicized, um, you know, it's just another another thing that happened and, and we forget about it. You know, I think a lot of it stems from sort of lack of knowledge. Like, to be completely honest with you, I, I wasn't sure who the Yazidis were um, back in, in 2014. That was the first time I was hearing about them. Um, I think a lot of people were in the same boat. But no, I do agree. If, you know, if these people are protesting for human rights, they should be protesting for all human rights, not just pick and choose to fit an agenda. Um, but back to that original point about just not knowing about the Yazidi people, who exactly are the Yazidi people? Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, you are absolutely right that there was a uh, lack of, of knowledge and I, I still is uh, to a certain degree because uh, going around and talking to people and meeting with people and speaking at places, um, I'm often uh, after the fact uh, that event happens and, and then someone will come up to Nadia or me and say, so Yazidis are Muslims? Um, you know, who are Yazidis? And then um, that's that's one of the challenges, and Yazidis are a small ethno-religious minority. Uh, um, they have lived in that region, as you know, as far as I know, and as far as you know, all, our ancestors have, you know, passed on knowledge to our, you know, families. Um, they have lived in that region for a millennia. Uh, in Iraq, uh, Iran, Turkey, Syria, in in that region, um, and the numbers are small now um, because what happened in 2014 by ISIS, unfortunately, was not new. It had happened in the past, um, and you know one of the reasons that. Uh, um, a lot of uh, older Yazidis are telling us that their ancestors moved to that region where I am from, where Nadia is from, near the mountains of Sinjar, is to take cover and to, um, you know, use that mountain as a, as a, a shield to hide from attacks like like what happened in, in 2014. And so as a small religious uh, minority um, in that region, it's a difficult region to live in. Um, and we have been a, a, a frequent uh, target of um, terrorist and radical groups, especially uh, since the uh, U.S. invasion of Iraq in, in 2003. Um, after that uh, invasion, uh, the rise in radical and terrorist groups uh, went up significantly 
um, from Al-Qaeda to uh, uh, Jihad and Tawheed and then eventually ISIS, all of these different groups um, targeted Yazidis based on their identity. And um, I, I worked for the U.S. military uh, for a number of, of years um, as, a, as a translator and a cultural advisor uh, for a while. Um, I was, you know, with them when they were fighting these groups and, you know, one of their main targets was always, uh, the Yazidi community, uh, and other, uh, religious minorities in, especially in the, in the Nineveh Plain region in, in, in Iraq. And so it's, um, especially since 2003 and after the, the, uh, fall of the regime, even though, you know, no one, no one wants to live under a dictator. Uh, no one wants to live in a country where freedoms are restricted. And uh, but unfortunately, it's the truth and it's the reality that um, because of the the power vacuum and the chaos that was was uh, created after the invasion, um, radical groups took advantage, uh, and including in 2014, took uh, advantage of of that. Uh, power vacuum and they recruited the, our neighbors and, 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 and radicalized them and used that, uh, that, that vacuum to, uh, take advantage of, of attacking, uh, ESEDs. um, back in 20, uh, 2007, it was a large attack on ESED villages and towns and, and smaller attacks in between until the larger campaign of, of genocide in, in 2014. Yeah, and honestly, I had no idea uh, that this sort of violence is going on even before the 2014 genocide. Um, and it's, it's a community that you're a part of. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's community and sort of traditions, values sort of influences them and, and shapes their life. So as a Yazidi person, how has, you know, your Yazidi identity shaped your life and experiences? Um, in, in so many ways, because um, growing up in that uh, remote uh a rural region in Iraq, um, in a small village, um, it well, it was not for me. I'm not religious, so um, it, it wasn't a religious identity for me. It, it isn't now. It was a, just an identity to um, associate with and to um, connect with with you know my fellow uh, neighbors and community members and, and friends and. Um, it, it's not just a, a religious identity. It's a, a sense of, of of community and belonging for so many Yazidis, and for me, certainly, it is. Um, it it has shaped me because it you know taught me so much about um, you know surviving in an environment like that. Um, you know, being uh, denied your your own identity and language. I you know the the curriculum which we studied was. Um, I studied was not on my own, in my own language. I don't read and write in my own language. I only speak it because um, it, it, we spoke it at home, and the, the curriculum was in Arabic. Um, it, even though it uh, it was safe and uh, a certain degree, you know, okay to practice your um, religious and you know identity when I was a child, but, uh, it, it often came at great, 
uh, you know, personal risk and, um, and especially as I mentioned earlier, after 2030. Uh, so it, it has shaped me to, um, to have this strong connection with my region, with my uh, people. And that's why one of the main, you know, uh, reasons I, I got involved, uh, even though I, I was out, um, in the United States when ISIS attacked, uh, I still had that, that sense of, of community connection and, and to this Yazidi identity that pushed me to do everything I can to help and still does. Absolutely. I think sometimes hardship sort of focuses us, uh, in words really sort of, uh, makes us take more pride in our culture. I know, um, you know, as a Jewish person, like this past month is, I sort of had like a, you know, reawakening of, you know, who I am, my heritage and stuff like that. So, um, fortunately, sometimes it takes a hardship for that to happen. Um, just going on to your, to your work, is there any like specific moments? I know you guys are doing a lot of great stuff, you know, building hospitals, getting the community back on the feet, uh, back on their feet rather. Um, are there any specific moments or stories from your work? Like if you could name one that had a specific, uh, significant impact on you. Um, many stories, many, um, um, I can refer to the recent one. Uh, we, we, in our, during our recent trip to Sinjar, um, I was, uh, I, I stayed a bit, uh, back in, in a way. And as Nadia was interacting with young, a woman at the women's sports center, um, and surrounded by them, um, it, it just, it has a different meaning for me to just know that we have done a project and to see the the photos and the video that I know we have created a safe space for this young woman to uh, be able to uh, play and enjoy something outside of, of their home that uh, was never available, as Nadia mentioned it the other day, was never available to her. And it it's uh, it's a great... Um, feeling to to see uh projects like that come to fruition and and i as i was looking at them and um even if you look at the nadia's initiative probably uh uh twitter and instagram uh pages you'll see a, a photo of a young woman um just uh hugging nadia and crying saying you know i never thought that i would have a space like this in my own village to have access to and to use and so th there are so many stories like this where um, it continues to give you uh, strength and hope to 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 fight despite the the challenges and the the obstacles. Yeah, like I said before, the work you guys are doing is remarkable. I can only imagine how how special it is for you, not only as a human being, but as a as a Yazidi as well. So it's definitely extra special. Um, I always like to end my my interviews because I do you know I I speak on a lot of human rights topics, and I always love to end my interviews. In what are the best ways to help Yazidi people? And obviously, you run an organization. So, what are the best ways to help uh, Nadia's initiative? Um, to go back to your uh, earlier comment, to uh, you know, just having knowledge about the community, um, and also, like, if you look at the conflict right now in 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 the region in Israel, uh, know having knowledge about the history of the Jewish people, uh, you know, uh, about the Holocaust, you know, it's the same thing, having knowledge about the history of, of Yazidis, knowing um, what the community, who the community is and what 
they have experienced in 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 that region and throughout their history because of their identity because of who they are and so i think that's the first step is to 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 um learn and to education educate those who are around you about um the community um in one thing you can you know people can do is to read nadia's memoir uh the lost uh, girl uh, it's it's her memoir is powerful it's not just you know it tells the story of, of, of um, the community her family and her story um and to you know engage in any way you can to share these stories and then we put out uh, often on our platforms and uh, on our website to you know um you know share the work we're doing with others in in you know in in hopes they can also amplify those stories and and uh, ask people to to contribute in any way they can. Well, Mr. Shabdeen, I truly appreciate your time uh, learning about the Yazidis, learning about the incredible work that you're doing. Um, I can only hope the ISIS perpetrators are soon swiftly brought to justice, and uh, I look forward to the rebuilding of the Yazidi community. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Good night.